Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. All right, Sarah. So let's talk about our next one. Now, we've talked about two money traps that seem pretty obvious. This one I still think is pretty obvious, but I think we're starting to tip the scale a little bit away from completely obvious to maybe you don't know that you should stay away from this one. And that is debt consolidation companies, or as some people like to call them, debt consolidation companies. Because <laughs> it's a little, it's a little trappy. Um, I agree. And um, here's... I think we all know that these are kind of, you know, my opinion on some things. But, you know, the thing with the debt consolidation companies or consolidation companies, and I'll bring forth the habit again, that um, I think people are going and looking for these types of, um, and and actually sometimes I'm going to back up just a second because they call them debt relief companies as well. That's another thing, debt relief company. And I think what a play on words because they're trying, they're playing into your emotions again, right? Um, let's relieve your debt. Well, they're not relieving any debt for you. Number one, I like to build in the habit that you identify what's important to you. And if getting rid of your debt, eliminating debt, is important and that's something that you want to focus on, then let's build the habits to do that. And you can, in my experience, um, eliminate your debt. I'm going to say more effectively, more efficiently, and with less money than using a debt consolidation company or a debt relief company as they are calling themselves now. Um, you can do. Every single one of us has the ability to do everything that these companies say that they're going to do for you. You can do yourself, and it's not that much work. Number one. Mm. You don't need another company. You don't need to pay so many, uh, you know, so high of fees to have another company say that, oh, we're going to negotiate these and, and we're going to put everything together for you. Every, every person has the ability to do that themselves. Every single one of us has the ability to negotiate some of these debts with creditors. Every go. single one of us has the ability to build in the habit of eliminating this debt so as that we know what types of debt we want in the future. And so we can choose, is this productive debt? Is this unproductive debt? You know, are we comfortable with this debt or are we not? And if we are not comfortable with it, then how do we get rid of it? That's a habit that we need to build because if we don't build it now, then it's going to be harder in the future to determine what type of debt we want versus what we don't want. Mm. Yes. So not for nothing, but we're called the new money habits podcast, right? <laughs> it, and so, right, let's focus on the habit here for a moment. Mm -hmm. My biggest complaint about debt consolidation as a, as a theory, whether it's a debt consolidation, a relief company, or sometimes if you're, you know, taking out like a home equity line of credit to pay off consumer mm -hmm. debt, whatever, 
this idea of debt consolidation where we're consolidating all the debt into like one thing, I actually am not totally against the idea, the concept, except for if we haven't built up any habits around how we manage our debt, then mm-hmm. putting all your eggs in one basket and playing the shell game and, and taking it from over here and putting it over there does absolutely nothing if you have changed none of the habits and all you end up doing is now that you have everything consolidated over here, you start to go and acquire more debt Mm -hmm. over here. And so in theory, this is where, you know, it's for me, debt consolidation is not a trap in and of itself. If I've worked with a client and we have really established good habits around eliminating their debt and not acquiring any new debt. And then there's an opportunity Mm. to maybe consolidate and get a better interest rate so that they can then achieve their debt elimination even faster. I'm all for it. We're not going to use one of these debt consolidation companies to do that or anything like that. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. One with my wife and I and our student loans, because the way student loans are made, they're made each time uh, the, bank needed to send the school more money. Well, if Mm -hmm. you're going to uh, take fall classes, you get a disbursement in the fall. And if you take spring classes, you get another disbursement in the spring. And if you take summer classes, you're going to get another disbursement there. So what happens is over the course of one year, you could have as many as as three different student loans kind of become established. And so this Mm -hmm. happened. And so by the time I was done with all of mine, I had about 14 different student loans for my time in school. Well, each one of those loans had its own interest rate, its own repayment period and all these different things. And so some of them were as high as six and a half percent interest. And some of them were as low as uh, maybe four and a quarter or something like that, but somewhere in the 4% range. So between 4% and six and a half percent. And when I started my new money habits in 2012, and I started paying down my consumer debt and then shifted over to my student loans, I was paying them off individually. And I had really built up a habit over the course of three years or so mm-hmm. where like, I got it. Like I'm paying these things off. I'm, I listed them smallest to largest. I'm paying the smallest one off first. And then I'm rolling that payment and the minimum monthly payment to the next one. I was going through what is, affectionately known as this debt snowball. (laughs) But then there there came a moment where there was an opportunity. I saw an opportunity. It was Mm -hmm. um, an opportunity to consolidate all of my student loans into one loan and take the interest rates that went from, let's say, four and a half to six and a half percent. And I got to consolidate them into a loan for 3.25%. I had built up the habit. I'm paying off my, my student loans, and I'm not acquiring new debt. There was an opportunity to save time and money by consolidating them. So consolidation is not something that I'm against. I'm against how and when we consolidate sometimes. And so the other example I'll give you is I working with a couple who had some significant consumer debt, and they were considering taking out money from their their house, so doing a refinance, a cash out refinance, so that they could eliminate some of it was credit card debt, so you know high teens or, uh, or uh, low twenty percent interest rates, 
Mm-hmm. Some of it was auto loan for like 7%, whatever. And so they were considering it. And I said, we have to be careful because I want you guys to save time and money. I want you to get it. At that point, they were able to cash out refinance for 1.75% mm. interest. Like, <laughs> like, I want you to save that money. Right. But have we established the habit? And at that point, we had. We had established a habit where you're paying all these things. You're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're not acquiring new debt. So let's mm-hmm. go ahead and let's let's consolidate it. But let's not use one of these debt relief companies to do it. And for all the reasons that you said earlier, like the things Mm -hmm. that they promise you can do on your own. And in some cases, let's consolidate into a smaller interest rate when we've established a habit of managing our debt well. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, and maybe this is going to be presumptuous of me. Um, so I'm just going to put it out there. And if it is, then you know what? Anybody can call me out on it. I'll, it has been my experience that when people are looking for these types of companies, they are feeling overwhelmed. Um, and I'm going to use the word quick fix, um, Mm. because it feels like I'm getting rid of those things and I just have one. So I'm getting rid of all of this and I just have one. And to that, I say, you're not getting rid of anything. You're transferring it, but you're not getting Mm -hmm. rid of anything. Now, I've been in situations, I've had clients that have had some debt that really weighed heavily on them. Maybe it was, you know, from a past relationship, you know, that they're working hard and it's, you know, heavy emotions are tied to it. Maybe they went through a really tough period of time in life. You know, again, some really, really heavy emotions are tied to it. But none of this is a quick fix. You're not getting rid of anything by using one of these companies, a debt consolidation debt relief company. You're simply transferring it. And when that's the way that you're going into it, then I know that, and I feel pretty confident in saying, I know that that it might not be the right fit for you because you haven't built the habits and the mindset around it. You're looking for something to get you have it in your mind that you're getting rid of something. And that's really not what you're doing. And when we approach debt that way, instead of looking at it as a transfer, I think what you're doing is you're making it okay in your own mind. You're justifying it. And it allows you then to maybe make some choices that you're not going to be real happy with in the future. You're going to be going back into debt because you haven't actually identified what this action is. You haven't identified that it's a transfer of debt, not an elimination of debt. Um, And I hear a lot of times clients say, I'm tired of making multiple payments. I just want to make one. I just want to make one payment. Well, I can feel that. Um, and I think in the right case, if the habits are built, I, I too am not wholly against um, consolidating. But again, I think if you're looking at one payment versus multiple, we're, wa- we're walking into the situation with the wrong mindset. And we need to have a conversation around, you know, why is it the multiple? You're making one payment to one thing and another payment to another. You know, it's, it's a little payment or a really big one. I think there's a lot that we can dig into with mindset here, but um, I really want to identify why it is you think that the debt consolidation is your answer. 
right? Um, and why it is that, why that's the route that you want to take. Um, and I try and work through that with clients first because yeah. um, it's important. Absolutely. I think, it, I think mindset and habits are two things that are grossly overlooked when people are even talking about consolidating their debt. They're not thinking about the habits they currently have or the habits they're trying to establish. And they're not considering their emotions and their feelings and their thoughts around mm -hmm. like debt and all those different things. So definitely two things to explore before making the decision to do it. Mm -hmm. um, Cause to your point, otherwise you're not really addressing the problem. You're addressing a symptom Mm -hmm. of a much bigger underlining problem. Um, so, yeah, we want you to address the problem, not just the symptoms. Right. Agreed. Cool. All right. I think we are at the tipping point of <laughs> obvious to maybe not so obvious. Mm. Um, I said with debt consolidation that we were kind of like on the cusp. I think we are going to... Uh, find ourselves clear on the other end of maybe this wasn't so obvious, but um, we've talked about three traps to avoid payday loans, timeshares, debt consolidation. And another trap that we think you should avoid, although I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion <laughs> about this one, mm -hmm. the car lease, the dreaded mm -hmm. car lease, leasing vehicles. Oh no, it's a trap. <laughs> I think this is going to be a really good conversation um, because we, I think, have some differing views on this. And I will say I do not have any personal experience. I have never leased a car myself. Um, I have had some very close people in my life lease, so I've kind of seen some of their experiences through it, and I've helped clients work through their car leases. So that's where my perspective and my um, opinions come from. So I'm going to put that caveat out there. Um, and truth be told, I don't care for them. I, do, I don't care for car leases. Uh, I, I feel that there are different ways um, to go about owning a vehicle. Um, and I think I feel more comfortable with saying I'd rather you build in the habit of owning your own, um, whether you save up and you pay cash for one or you go and get a, a loan. I would rather see clients take one of those two routes versus a car lease. Um, and I'm really, really curious to, to hear your perspective on this, you know, because I know that, again, they're different. Well, um, I, I was, I was, I was reading through the lines. You're like, I don't have any personal experience because I've never had a car lease as if to suggest that I do. Oh, that's right. I have experiencing, I have experience leasing a vehicle. Actually, my experience is relatively new. So, you know, full transparency. Um, so I, let, let me kind of start from the beginning. For me, it, I have always trumpeted the, I want to own, I want to own outright, I don't want to have um, a loan, all these things that I heard from all the financial gurus out there about, you know, it, it's, you're, 
they, things like leasing a car is the most expensive way to own and operate a vehicle that, you know, you should buy with cash, whatever. Okay. So when I first heard that, I trumpeted that. I was like, yes, I'm right there with you. But you know how we often say we got to meet our clients where they are? Mm-hmm. I think what what it was short-sighted for me to see this in like black and white terms. And so let me kind of take you through a little bit of a um, an evolution, if you will. Mm-hmm. So when I first heard, pay for your cars outright, don't have a loan on them, all those things. It was really easy for me to agree to that back in the, uh, it was about 2011-ish, maybe, maybe a little bit sooner. But it was really easy for me to buy into that because at that time, I did have a car loan that was charging me 22% interest. So Mm. I was very interested in eliminating that debt. Mm-hmm. Very interested because that's a ridiculous interest rate. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I paid that car off. I bought that car in 2010, right? Maybe, maybe late 2009. We found out my wife was pregnant and we were riding around in a um, Toyota Tacoma that had just a, a mini extended <laughs> cab. So there was no way we were going to get like a car seat in it. So we Mm -hmm. had to get rid of the Toyota Tacoma that we adored and we got a more, you know, family friendly Dodge caliber, right? If if you have any idea what that looks like, it's like this little crossover sedan Mm. thing. So in, in late 2009, early 2010, I buy the caliber and this is the, this is the car that I had at 22% interest because my credit was horrible back then, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. I bought that in 2010, let's call it. It's 2022. I still have mm-hmm. that car. <laughs> it's been it's long since been paid off. I, if I had a five year loan on it, it should have been paid off in 2015. I paid it off in 2013. I paid it off two years early because when I heard, "Hey, you know, get out of the car payment," I was I was there. I was like, "Yes, mm-hmm. that thing has 185 thousand miles on it." You talk about wanting to drive it until the wheels fell off. Like I got it because we found out my daughter, we were pregnant with my daughter. My daughter is now going to be 13. <laughs> I can totally see myself holding onto this car for another three years and it, it being her first. Like mm-hmm. I'm all for driving around in paid for cars. So when you hear that I have a lease, you're like, well, wait a minute. Because there was an evolution. Okay. So mm-hmm. fast forward a bunch of years in the year 2017, we were driving around in one car for the most part for seven years. But it was time for us to have two cars again, um, just with my wife getting the kids to school and all that stuff. And not I've been working from home, so it's not like I had anywhere to go, but we were like, we need two cars. So I went out to the used car market and I had enough money in the bank to buy a car uh, about $20,000. So I found a van. It was... At that point, it was five years old. It had 60,000 miles on it. And it was the sticker price on it was like $13,999. So let's call it $14,000. So I had the money in the bank to pay for it. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to apply for the financing up front just because I had heard that 
Um, sometimes you can get a better price on the vehicle if they mm. know you're financing it versus if you're going to pay cash. So I'm all like, ah, I'll let them finance it. <laughs> and I have the cash to pay it off next month before I get charged even one penny of interest. Right. Right. So I let them finance it and I got a 1.9% interest rate because my credit was far significantly better <laughs> than it had been. And when I looked at all the, th when I looked at the terms and it was like, if you hold it for the full five years, the full 60 mm -hmm. terms, and you, you pay this payment over the course of five years, you will have paid in interest $1,700. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> because when you're buying a $15,000, $14,000 vehicle <clears throat> and you're making payments over the course of the next five years, you're only getting $1,700 from me in interest? This opened my eyes to the, the idea of OPM. Other people's money. You hear people who are wealthy talk about it, but you don't start to realize until you, you really start to look at interest rates. Like, ah, the interest rate makes all the difference in the world. Because at 22%, if I would have mm -hmm. kept paying the car payment, I bought that, that caliber for like $12,000. I would have paid back $24,000. I would have paid $12,000 in interest. It's nuts. But now... Now it was significantly less expensive to borrow somebody else's money. Mm. So I was like, huh. Now I held on to the financing for maybe eight months. And then I finally was just like, okay, I got to pay it off. Like, <laughs> cause I don't like, I don't like having a car payment. Right. Mm -hmm. So I paid that off early too. So then what changed? Well, that van taught me a lot. Like I said, I bought it. It was five years old. It had 60,000 miles on it. I bought it in 2017. In the last five years that I've owned it, I've put on about 70,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And I've put $15,000 in repairs into it. <laughs> that van cost me 30 grand. Mm -hmm. So I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I did not come out ahead in this one. Now, I might have just gotten a bad van. But mm -hmm. it made me really start to, like... Think about and analyze what did I need next for my family? Mm -hmm. And what I needed next for my family was some flexibility and some options. And if you take $15,000, or I'm sorry, if you take $30,000 and divide it by 60 months, because I've owned the van for five years and I put $30,000 into it, 15 to buy it, 15 to repair it. If you do the math on that, um, you come up to $500 a month. Mm. So I've essentially had a $500 car payment for the last five years, even though I didn't want one. Mm. And again, I might've gotten a bad van. It might've just been a luck of the draw. But I'm like, if I can afford $500 a month anyway, why not get something and lease it? Because I wanted to experience the, the lease. And I went and I got myself educated. I got mm -hmm. myself educated on what does it really mean to lease a vehicle? So the first number you got you to be aware of is the residual value. This is the value that they think that the car is going to be worth at the end of the term, at the, at the end mm -hmm. of the lease term. Okay. So if you're buying like uh, to keep the numbers easy, let's say you're buying a $20,000 vehicle and they think it's going to be worth 10 in three years. Well, then you 
are on the hook for $10,000 over the course of the next three years. Well, take $10,000, divide it by 36, and you have 277. That's how you get like a, a, an affordable, air quotes, affordable <laughs> lease payment, right? Mm. Is because you're only on the hook for the depreciating value of the vehicle while you have it. Mm. So I was like, okay, that, that part makes sense to me. The next part is instead of paying taxes for the vehicle, the $20,000 vehicle all up front, you only pay monthly taxes. So, and I, again, on the part of, of the, the car that you are um, responsible for, for. So that $10,000, mm-hmm. you pay taxes on that instead of the full 20. Okay. That's for me, that's neither here nor there. What really got me was for the next 35 months, I own this car. See, leases people think, Oh, well, the, the company owns it like the, you know, in this case, it's a Kia. Uh, don't come at me for, for leasing a Kia. But <laughs> so many people think, oh, well, Kia owns the car for the next three years. No, they don't. I do. For the next 36 months, I own the car. So at month 35, I can do whatever I want with that car. If I want to sell it. And let's say, again, let's say they think it's worth 10. But in three years, let's say it's worth 12. I sell it for $12,000, I pay them their 10, and I just pocketed two grand. It can happen the other way. Now, if it's only worth eight, and I sell it for eight, well, then I gotta come up with $2,000 to pay them the 10 that I owe them at the end of the term. Mm-hmm. But I own it, mm-hmm. and I can do that, and I can make that decision at the end of it. Now, if I just turn it in, if I straight up just hand them the keys and like, I don't want anything to do with it. Now you have to worry about like mileage and de- other depreciating value, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I was looking at my situation and I thought to myself, given everything I know about my family needs right now and how those needs will change in three years mm-hmm. and how I essentially spent 15 grand over the last five years, I was like, you know what? For the next three years, I can afford this, um, you know, this $10,000. And so I met myself where I am, right? Mm -hmm. Just like I say to do with our clients, you know, Mm -hmm. I took all of this information into account to determine whether or not it was the right thing for, for me and my family. And who knows in 36 months, I might be like, this was the worst thing (laughs) I've ever done, but jury's still out. Right. <laughs> so I have a couple couple of thoughts. I have a question for you. So let's just say we are living in crazy times with used car prices right now. So you said, you know, at month 35, right? Maybe you sell it and maybe you sell it for 15. You only owe the, the finance company, the dealership 10. So you get to pocket five. What happens, mm-hmm. say, in three months? Let's say you sell the car. Do you have the ability to sell it in, say, three months? So you've only kept it for three months? Yes. And can you pay that $10,000 right away? Or do you owe that at month 36? So I can pay off the residual value at any point. In fact, I can refinance at any point. Like if if Mm. the car went up in value, um, which is ridiculous to say, like, Trust me, I, I know how ridiculous it sounds to say that, but that's exactly what's happened with this car market since the I pandemic. Know. 
It's, it's nuts. ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> if it went up in value in the next three months and again, if I, I can sell it for whatever I want, I just have to pay them what I owe them. So mm-hmm. I would want to make sure I come out ahead. Now, because I'm also with, with a big asterisk, hold on. I would owe them for the residual at the end and any unpaid payments between now and month 36. Mm. Right? Because what they're expecting, they're expecting over the course of the next 36 months, they're going mm-hmm. to get 10 grand from me. So I would have to, I would owe them more than just the residual value. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would owe them the residual value plus whatever unpaid months I have. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. It does. I just wanted to see if I was following, you know, some of this as, as well, just to clarify. You know, one thing that um, <clears throat> I think in the right situation, you know, and, and if you're feeling really good about it, I, I still don't feel like it would be something that, that I would personally do right now. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily see that... Um, I always meet clients where they're at, you know, and, and I want to be educated enough. And so thank you for this because it's given me more information that I can have a more educated conversation with people that are exploring this option. Um, yeah. It is still not my first pick. Um, but, and you know, and I'll add into this too, neither is buying a brand new vehicle, right? Mm. Depreciation, you know, and, and these types of things that, that for me, I, I firmly believe that there's some really great used vehicles out there that somebody else has paid the depreciation on. I don't want to, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Somebody else has taken care of that. You know, for me, you know, it's interesting that you um, were kind of talking about the OPM, other people's money, right? Because mm-hmm. James and I had this conversation when we bought our fifth wheel. This is used. It's a used fifth wheel, but we had the conversation about, um, and I know this isn't a car lease, but but talking about, do we pay cash for this or do we have a monthly payment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what are our options? And we chose to pay cash, even though the interest rate would have been, I don't remember exactly what they told us. There was a range. It would have been pretty low. Could we have kept the rest of this money that we used to pay cash for this in some type of investment that could have potentially been making more money for us? Yes. We chose not to because for me, this is where mindset comes in, right? And what really worked. I want to, for me, owning this and not having that monthly payment is one less thing that I need to worry about because I know that our maintenance costs are going to be high, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, we went and kind of weighed all of our options, same that you did with your family, right? Mm-hmm. We weighed the options and I said, um, no, payments... Payments aren't an option in my life right now because I, I don't, I don't like the way that they make me feel Yeah, quite frankly. Um, and you know, and that's a big thing. And I think people need to, whatever it is that you choose, whatever it is that people choose, really looking at how you feel, what makes sense for you, what you feel comfortable with, why are you pursuing this particular air, you know, this option, looking at all the options and weighing them all out, I think is really important. If, if 
nothing else, you know, we don't necessarily agree, but what we do agree upon are those things, right? That you really look at what feels right for you in your situation, but that you're looking at all of the options and you're weighing them out very carefully. Um, so you're making a, a, a really informed decision. And I always say, you might get three years down the road and say, ugh, dang, I kind of wish we hadn't have done this, or now I've learned, right? Mm -hmm. Now I might make a different decision going forward, but I don't think it would be a bad decision because you took the time to weigh out all your options with the information that you had today, and that's what's important. You trusted yourself, right, to and had confidence in this decision because it makes sense today, and I think that that's what's really important. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think... To your point, it, it is just about making an informed decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like my decision wasn't somewhat influenced by recent experience. Right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to drive the family van until it had 250 or 300,000 <laughs> you know, 300, plus miles on it. Like if it would have allowed me to, I put a transmission in it. I replaced the transmission because I, I was under that... The, I was under the impression, I'll say, that, okay, if I make this $4,000 investment in this van, that it's going to get me another 60,000, 70,000 miles. And the transmission was fine, but then there was this issue with the, the, the oil pressure, and the car was not accelerating properly because of something with the oil pressure, mm. and it was another $2,000 um, job. And then... It, there were some other things, but the, the latest one is it was running a little bit hot and I take it to the same guy and the, and, and the guy has been real fair and honest with me. And he goes, you know, I can't in good conscience tell you to make this next repair because this van, every time we make the repair and we think, okay, we got it in a good place and it should go another 40, 50, 60,000 miles for you. You go 10 and it's doing something else. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that experience didn't, Jade me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons I, cause I don't normally like a new car either. And especially with the way the market is right now, <laughs> you know, I used 20,000 and 10,000 to, to draw the example, to keep the, the, the numbers, mm -hmm. you know, easy, but to buy a new car right now is like 40 grand. And I'm not, I'm just not interested in committing myself to 40 grand. So I was like, mm -hmm. I'll commit myself to a smaller portion of that over the next three years. Mm -hmm. And I'll make this lease agreement because I also know for the next three years, if that car gives me even an ounce of trouble, it's covered. It's, covered. Mm -hmm. it's not my problem. So See, that's hmm. that, that, okay. Sorry. I don't mean to factors, interrupt you. That's okay. So I've got a client right now that is in a car lease and she is responsible for all of the repairs on it. That doesn't make any sense to me only mm -hmm. because you, from what I understand, you can only, you can only le lease a new vehicle and new vehicles mm -hmm. come with warranties. So I said earlier, don't come at me. It's a Kia, but a Kia at least comes with a 10 year, 100,000 mile powertrain warranty. Mm -hmm. If the big stuff, the big stuff, if it's an alternator, I'm pretty sure that's on me, but an alternator is relatively small and it's, it's kind of like a battery. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you're going to go through it, but if it's a transmission, if it's this oil pressure thing, if it's the head gaskets, that was the last one on the van, the van, 
the guy was mm-hmm. like, I got to replace the head gaskets and that's expensive. Mm-hmm. So if it's one of those big things, it's Kia's problem, not mine. I take mm-hmm. it right back to them and they fix it. Yeah. This client, um, it was a new car, you know, cause it was a lease and she's mm-hmm. had multiple repairs, um, and multiple things happening on it. Um, as we speak and she is trying to, we're working out. How are these things going to be covered? Because it's several thousand dollars, things that are not covered. She is responsible for them. Um, and so it's questioning. She's just questioning, right? Like, yeah. and putting all of this money into it. Uh, and I will call it a significant amount. We're not talking a couple hundred. We're talking several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. It's significant. She's younger. And, you know, um, to any of us, it could be significant. Yeah. Um, and so she's questioning, you know, what, what, what do I want to do in the future? Right. What are my options? And, and um, what do I want? And so I just love that we're having this conversation again, because it's opening my eyes that I'm being educated. Um, it gives me other uh, information to use going forward. Right. Yeah. And it allows hopefully our listeners to have, Maybe a different type of conversation, right? Maybe an, an area to explore um, all of them. You know, pay cash. Do we, you know, um, do go a, a traditional all traditional car loan route? You know, do we do lease? Why would each of these benefit us? How could we make them work? What does it? What does our family need? And then make the best decision from there. Right. Right. That's what I love about our conversations, right? Is if nothing else, it's let's get educated, let's make an informed mm-hmm. decision, uh, and let's make the decision that's right for us. And you've said it on previous episodes. Not that we have to justify ourselves to anyone else, right? Like, mm-hmm. As long as we're making an informed decision, what I would never want to do is I wouldn't want people to go out and make rash decisions. Like, oh well, based off of um, you know two pieces of information, like my car is is giving me problems and. I want a warranty. I go out and I get a new car. Like, no, like make sure you're kind of looking at everything. You're weighing all the information together. And then when you go and make the decision that you make with all that information, make it confidently and, and, and feel good about the decision that you made. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our hosts by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.